The Morning Show. The Home Team. No, it's both. It's the crossover with Sam Franco and Chris Brave. Crossover, step back! Right here on 960theref.com. All right, we're back. Episode 11 of the Crossover Podcast right here on 960theref.com. Sam Franco, Chris Brame along with you. Thank you so much for joining us. A little bit of housekeeping to take care of right off the bat. I have been told by people that know these things, because I don't, that we will be on iTunes very soon. So you can subscribe to us on iTunes in the near future, and that way you will get every episode of the Crossover Podcast as it is released. So be on the lookout for that. And we will definitely be badgering you to subscribe on iTunes. And, of course, leave five-star reviews because, well, we're a five-star program. So Yeah, absolutely. Them. Please. A uh, bit of self-promotion there. Do that. Yes, absolutely. Tell us how great we are. No doubt about that. But uh, we'll get to all that stuff later on, and we'll let you guys know as soon as we are up and running on iTunes. But to start off this episode of The Crossover, right here on 960theref.com, we are going to talk about Georgia football in 2017. Zamir White's in the fold for 2018 now. That was a big kind of story that came out. Georgia still has some work to do on the recruiting trail for 2018. But now we're going to turn our attentions to the action on the field in 2017. And what are the expectations for Georgia in 2017? You've got Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle coming back in the backfield. You had a host of players decide to return on defense as well. So there's going to be a lot of talent on this team. The real question is, in Kirby Smart's second year, what does Georgia do in terms of progressing under Coach Smart? My expectations are pretty much the same as they were last year. I feel like Georgia should be in contention for the Eastern Division. If Georgia doesn't win it, uh, you know, I'm not going to say I'll be, I, I won't be upset or anything like that, but... I'll try and understand, maybe, given, uh, you know, we'll see how the circumstances for it turn out. I just, Georgia doesn't need to get to, in this case, it would be the South Carolina game, which I guess basically falls where the Kentucky game did yeah, last November, year. Yeah, November, right. Yeah, Georgia doesn't need to get to the first week of November already out of the Eastern Division race. Because that's, last year, when Georgia went to Lexington and Kentucky had a chance to win the East they and were Georgia still in didn't. It. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that was when, to me, officially, I was ready for last season to be over. And um, so I would just, I'd like to be able to make it from September to the Tech game and not at any point during the season just wish that the year would be done already. Because we wait so long for it to even get here. And uh, I don't want to have to shut it down like after the Florida game again. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think a lot of the time, you know, Georgia fans go into these seasons with such high expectations and. Georgia is a program that has done very well, and you've got to give Coach Rick a lot of credit for kind of the resurgence that Georgia had there in the 2000s. But it's also been a program that hasn't necessarily lived up to lofty expectations, particularly when the expectations are very high going into the season. I think one thing that you just mentioned there and, and that I totally agree with is that Georgia should be expected to contend for the East every year. I mean, there's no question about that. But at the same time, it's once you get to that point, then what should the expectation be? I know 2012 uh, was a season that I I think Georgia probably overperformed expectations, at least for that season, and you get all the way to the SEC title game and, and had a very good chance to win it. 
But since then, I don't think the expectations have necessarily been that high. Well, you know, but these a lot of these preseason publications still have had, I mean, at least consider Georgia like a top 15 team and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And when you look back over the last couple of years at teams that have failed to live up to some of their preseason expectations from the, from the different publications, I mean, Georgia's been as criminal about uh, underachieving as any of them, including, I mean, to some degree, even even last year's team. Um, but um, I don't know, but this is going to be an interesting year where we're still looking where the, the offensive line is still kind of in rebuilding mode. I think the pieces are definitely in place for Georgia to have a very good defense. But, uh, you know, we all hope that, I mean, interestingly enough, that the team is really carried by two veterans there in Chubb and Michelle. So, you know, that at the end of the year, you're, uh, you're left with hopefully having a, a season that ends with minimum a trip to the SEC championship game. But, you know, if it doesn't, you're looking at those two veterans leaving. And then, I mean, there's a chance that a, a good number of those guys on defense could end up mm-hmm. uh, gone after this season, too. You know, so, you know, I mean, we'll have to evaluate that when the time comes to see what's left from this year's defense. But, uh, you know, really, it's on, it's on the offense to to get it going because it's been lousy the last two years and not squander what should be. I mean, it's like a, a top 15 defense nationally, if not better than that. Exactly. And I, I think that when you're talking about the expectations of this team, the pressure for this season basically falls squarely on the shoulders of one guy in terms of the players, and it's Jacob Eason because you look at Chubb and Michelle coming back. You also have Harrion and Holyfield, and DeAndre Swift will now be in the fold. So you've got a bunch of good players in the backfield. You've got a great tight end in Isaac Nauta, and the tight ends are a very good bunch in general with Jeb Blazevich and Jackson Harris as well. So you've got the pieces there at tight end, and the wide receiving core could be pretty good. You know, Riley Ridley made some huge strides last season, so Eason's going to have the weapons on the offensive side of the ball, you would think, to have a very good season. But he's got to be better than he was last season. The accuracy has to get better because we've seen the big arm. We've seen his ability to lead drives late in games. He did it against Missouri. He did it against Kentucky. But he's got to be more consistent, and he's got to be more accurate if Georgia wants to make it to Atlanta and play in that first SEC championship game at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Yeah, I mean, he's a, he, he was a five-star prospect, an elite prospect coming out of high school. Um, and, yeah, he, I mean, he's got to be able to put up better numbers than Joe Cox and Hudson Mason did because mm-hmm. he did. I mean, even those guys averaged over seven yards an attempt. Those guys completed, uh, maybe not Cox, but, uh, look, Hudson Mason led the conference in completion percentage the one year that he started. So, I mean, you definitely would like Eason to get into the 60s on uh, on that front this season and definitely get that uh, that yards per attempt up there I mean close to at least eight because you know if Georgia and Georgia's running game uh, was not as uh, not as explosive as it has been in the past last year but you definitely would hope that Georgia could average you know somewhere between five and a half or six yards a carry so if you're not averaging close to eight yards an attempt in the air there's almost like I mean, there's no point then in throwing because, you know, the, the, the case for throwing then is, well, you can average like 40% more yards per attempt doing it. If you're not getting to that neighborhood, then why risk it? Yeah, exactly. And, and I, think, I think more than anything that you have a five-star quarterback and you have another five-star quarterback behind him, that just makes the pressure even more and it makes the fan base get super kind of antsy about the – 
performance of a Jacob Eason because if he starts to struggle or if he has a string of games where he hasn't been very consistent, then, of course, the calls for Jake Fromm are going to be loud and, and, and ringing loudly, particularly because of the performance he had at G-Day where you know he led a couple of drives and, and, and had some very nice throws in that game. So it's like, well, we've seen what he can do. Again, it's G-Day, so you have to take it with a grain of salt, but fans aren't rational, so they're not going to take it with a grain of salt. They're going to be like, well, he was completing passes at G-Day, and if Jacob Eason can't do it, then put Fromm in there. No, no. I mean, the, it's the old adage, the most popular player on the team is often the uh, the backup quarterback. So, yeah, I mean, I can – it's – you know, if you get a sense where if Eason struggles just – the I mean, like, it almost feels like possibly the, the first pass that hits the ground for Eason that's incomplete. Like, oh, we got to go to Fromm immediately. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, what, what to me could be – problematic for Georgia too is if I don't know if I mean if Eason isn't better this uh this season then I mean how much the blame does does he own but how much does also uh you know Cheney and and you know Kirby's the head coach so even Kirby how much of that do they have to wear too that you know is Georgia going to be in a position where you know the the pitchforks are out toward Jim Cheney and the offensive coordinator that uh, that might put the pressure on Kirby to make a change there. Because I mean, one thing that Georgia's got maybe going for it this season that what we haven't had in a couple of years now is the same offensive coordinator and the same quarterback in back to back years. Because uh, that's been since what Bobo and Murray. Yeah. Because then true. we went Bobo Mason, then we went Schottenheimer and Lambert, <laughs> and then last year it was Cheney and East. Yeah, so it's been a lot of turnover there, and hopefully that consistency of the same people being there will help Georgia and help the team make some strides. You know, Media Day is coming up next week, and I just saw on Twitter it was announced that uh, Nick Chubb, Sony Michelle, and Roquan Smith uh, will be Georgia's representatives at Media Days, obviously alongside Kirby Smart, and that just makes sense. I mean, you've got elder statesman of the program there you know you're never going to take a guy like Jacob Eason and throw him out there and and have him face all that stuff as opposed to staying here and getting ready for the season and getting ready for uh, summer camps and things like that so uh, all in all I think that the expectations for Georgia are pretty much what they always are you know get to Atlanta and this season in particular with Tennessee looking like they're probably going to be you know taking a step back and uh, I think it's funny because you look at the conference and you don't really know too much about Florida because there's a lot of question marks surrounding them in the quarterback position. Tennessee is the same way. Plus, Tennessee lost on defense. You lose a Derek Barnett. That's never going to be easy to replace. So you have a lot of question marks in Knoxville. Kentucky seems to be on the kind of uptick where they're improving. Missouri's another team where you don't really know a whole lot about what they're going to do. And, and Vanderbilt you know, might come back down to earth or they might continue to to outperform expectations so Georgia is going to go into this season as the favorite in the east and quite frankly they should be because if you look at the the rosters across the board in the division Georgia has the most talent well I mean since Malik Zaire transferred to uh, Florida I feel like their their hype is definitely escalated too which I like I mean I I I like the idea of maybe Georgia not uh not having the biggest target on them and the Gators and by the way the Gators have won the East the last two years so uh to me I kind of feel like yeah they maybe they should be the uh, the favorite in the uh in the East but 
uh, for sure. I mean, did, Tennessee had one of its best teams in, in a long, long time last year under Butch Jones, and they needed a Hail Mary to beat one of the worst Georgia teams that we've had since. I mean, really, I guess that 2010 squad. Yeah, and they should have lost to Appalachian State. They did lose to Vanderbilt. So, yeah, they definitely had their struggles. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, they're rebuilding a little bit there now. I know they like both of the quarterbacks they've got coming out of the spring, but, um, you know, if they were – if they were to beat us again, I mean, I know the game's in Knoxville this season, but you kind of feel like outside of Chubb and Michelle on the offense, and uh, you know, and then Georgia should be the one with the more you know, kind of experienced and veteran defense in some spots. That you know, if Georgia can't win that game and get over the hump, then you start thinking about 2018 and like, well, which team's in better position? Because Tennessee was the one kind of rebuilding. All right, we'll uh, continue to talk Georgia football here on the podcast uh, for the next uh, few months as we get ready for the season. But we'll switch gears now. A couple things we want to get to. We're going to talk some Atlanta Hawks and uh, the end of the Paul Millsap era in Atlanta, the official end of the Paul Millsap era. We're also going to talk about a very poorly named pay-per-view, the WWS, coming up this weekend. The worst. has to be the worst name ever. It's awful. And we'll get to that coming up. But first, I wanted to talk briefly about Freddie Freeman and his move to third. He came back before the All-Star break, which was a little bit of a shocker to a lot of people. He actually played third base for the Braves on July 4th against the Astros. Wasn't really a whole lot going in the game as Atlanta got pounded uh, by Houston. And Houston is one of the best teams, if not the best team, in the major leagues this year. So no shock that the Braves weren't able to beat them. But at the same time, uh, the big story was obviously Freddie Freeman coming in and playing third base, and in his first game at third base, just uh, looking at the numbers at the at the plate, you know, you can't really do anything. He didn't have any errors or anything, but he was one for four in his return. He did strike out once, but uh, you know, no uh, no errors for Freddie Freeman out there at um, at third base. So uh, that's a good sign, but it still worries me that he is at that position. Yeah, I don't I don't want it to be. Long term, maybe hopefully down the road, the Braves can figure out something to do with uh, with Matt Adams, and hopefully Matt Adams doesn't uh, start to cool off and just continues to be the the hitter that he has been for the for the month or so that he's been with Atlanta. But that's definitely um, not what the rest of his career would suggest he's going to uh, to be. But uh, you know, I I guess Freddie was sitting out there and. You know, before that loss the other night, Atlanta was a was within a game of 500. So the you know the Braves are thinking, hey, maybe we've got a chance to make a run and put ourselves into wild card contention. We'll see. I think I pointed out a couple of weeks ago here that Atlanta had played, and I don't know what it is now because they went out to San Diego and Oakland since then. But they had played. It was only 20 something games against teams with winning records, and that's what they've got here this week before the All Star break. So. Um, and they lost 16-4 to to Houston the other night. So the, 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 they've been lucky so far this year to dodge a lot of teams with better than 500 records. Uh, so we'll check in again next week at the All-Star break and see what Atlanta's record is and whether or not we should be uh, taking them too seriously. Yeah, and again, I, I just worry that they're putting unnecessary – eggs into the 2017 basket when that's not really what they need to be focused on you know they need to be prepping for next season and a way that you can do that is to continue to bolster your farm system and and try and get new young pieces 
And at the same time, you also want to be active and maybe try and get that that starter that we've talked about, you know, Chris Archer out there and some other guys as well. But you want to be proactive in getting ready for next year without necessarily derailing what you've done this year. But I just don't think that they're going to make the playoffs this year. And if they're not, then Matt Adams is a guy that's worth something. You could get, you could trade him. You could get value out of him, and, and that way you're not playing Freddie Freeman out of position. So I still favor trading him, and the trade deadline will come up after the All-Star break, so maybe a, a week or two of Freddie playing third and Matt Adams playing first base, maybe they'll be able to figure out whether it's going to be worth it or not. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the Braves aren't going to win anything this year, and I know it's it's you're gonna have a hard time convincing them of that when they're uh, you know when they're hovering around the 500 mark. But look, you've got three teams in the West that are better than 500 between the Rockies, Diamondbacks, and Dodgers. Um, you've got I mean the, the Cubs and Braves pretty much have identical records, which is I mean who would have predicted that? So I mean, good for the Braves for that to, to be at this point from where they were a year ago. But I mean, let's just realistically look at this pitching rotation and. You know, over the course of time, I mean, how is it going to hold up when they've got? I mean, Jaime Garcia has been rotten. Uh, Tehran is uh, was decent his last outing against the A's, but still did give up another home run. Uh, you know, Ari Dickey kind of runs hot and cold, which I guess is kind of par for the course for knuckleballers. Like that year that Nuxi won twenty games and also lost twenty games, and um, you know, Fultonevich did almost throw a no hitter the other night, so he's been solid. Newcomb finally got dinged up the other night against Houston, but I mean, I, I don't trust that rotation to consistently go out there and give you good start after good start. No, absolutely not. So again, I, I just, I don't think you should buy into the, the hype at this point. I think that I, I keep using this term because I think it's the, the best one to describe it. That summer romance that you've kind of fallen in here with Matt Adams. And uh, again, I just hope that, that they realize quickly whether or not he is going to be a piece in the long term. I don't think he's going to be, but if he is, maybe then uh, Freddie Freeman will get used to playing third base. We shall see. All right, switching gears to another Atlanta team that uh, appears to be down in the dumps, although the Braves aren't really down in the dumps. They're kind of in the middle, but the uh, Hawks seem to be packing it in fully as uh, the Paul Millsap era. We all expected it to come to an end, and it has, and it looks like it's going to be via a three-team sign-and-trade it sends Danilo Gallinari to the Clippers. Uh, the deal would uh, send Paul Millsap to the Nuggets and Jamal Crawford to the Hawks. Uh, the Hawks would also get a guy named Diamond Stone, who I've never heard of before. The Clippers 2018 first-round pick and some cash. And Jamal Crawford looks like he's going to get a buyout from Atlanta and end up going to the Lakers or something like that because he's from the. he played for the Clippers, so he apparently wants to stay in L.A. So if that's the case then Atlanta pretty much just acquired Diamond Stone and a 2018 first-round pick for Paul Millsap, in essence. And I don't hate it. I thought they were going to lose him for nothing, but it looks uh, like they're going to get a first-round pick out of it. And we've talked about this before, the Hawks. You know, I don't know if that pick's going to be in the lottery. It is the Clippers, and they did just lose Chris Paul, so maybe they don't end up making the playoffs in the West. And if that's the case, then that could end up being a lottery pick. So uh, overall, I think that it's a good deal for Atlanta. And I keep seeing things like at the, on Twitter where people are like, Atlanta notably absent from the list of teams talking to Kelly Olenek or something like that. And I'm like, why would they go sign any of those guys at this point? It, it's called a rebuild and a reset for a reason. You don't go out and sign players like that when you're doing something like that. 
Yeah, the Hawks don't need any players that might help them win games. That's why I was uh, I was happy to learn that Jamal Crawford probably won't play for Atlanta, that he'll end up uh, staying in L.A. and playing for the Lakers because Crawford's a decent player. I thought, oh, okay, well, they're getting something from Millsap. But he was really good when he, his first run in it. Yeah, right, but I, I don't want it to be a player that might actually help them win games because Atlanta <laughs> needs to get into the lottery. And now, and that's the story with the Hawks, this new GM, Travis Schenk, He's uh, he's stockpiling draft picks, and they've got five now over the next two drafts. Now, I know some of them are are protected. This one they got from the Clippers is top three protected, which at least could still get them in the lottery if it is, uh, uh, you know, if they have a lousy season, unless they end up with the uh, in the top three. But that's what the the Hawks need lottery picks. And I don't know how many of these over the next two years are going to turn out to, to be in the lottery. But, um, you know, they are in the first round, and so that's at least a, a jumping-off point because you want to win, you got to have lottery picks on your roster, and right now the Hawks have one. Yeah, that's and it. The, and there were a lot of players in this draft that I wish the Hawks had been in the lottery for, like a Malik Monk or something like that. Oh, yeah. I was a big fan of his. I, I couldn't believe he fell as far as he did. And, obviously, year to year it's different in terms of the level of, of uh, I guess, high – priority or high worth players that end up going in the lottery and last year was one of those where it was a very loaded first round and who knows what next year will be who knows what the year after that will be obviously Kentucky's one and duns will be out and about <laughs> so the the latest crop of those guys will be there but uh, hopefully like you've said there for Atlanta's sake they're able to pull the trigger on some good draft picks and and this rebuild takes a, a little bit uh, shorter of a time than we might have anticipated. Uh, yeah, but I mean that's where because Atlanta doesn't Atlanta's not one of those markets that for whatever reasons ever attracted free agents. Maybe if they uh, if they do end up with some young exciting players and this new GM down the road, they'll be able to. But that's where they've got to start. They've just got they got to try and find them themselves. And uh, with all those draft picks over the next couple of years. That's a good place to uh, to start. I know they've got one from Cleveland in a couple of uh, – Yeah, that's right. Yeah, like next year they've got Minnesota's, which is protected for the lottery, though, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they've got uh, – and then they've got Cleveland's in 2019, which is protected for the top ten. But if LeBron leaves, I mean, that could end up – Oh, yeah, that could be the number one overall pick. Yeah, but then it's protected top ten, though. Atlanta right. wouldn't get it if it was in the top ten. Right. Um, and then they've got Washington's – well, that's a second-round pick coming up in 2019 uh, also. But they're acquiring so. assets. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what they got to do is draft picks, so I like it. I mean, to, to see them drafting a lot over the next two years will be good, and maybe a couple of them will be in the lottery. What's been your favorite move that's happened this NBA offseason? I'd probably say just in terms of something kind of – up, uh, you know, overturning the apple cart. Paul George going to the Thunder was certainly interesting just because you know that even with an MVP in Russell Westbrook, they still were nowhere near where they needed to be. And now that he's got some help, you know, maybe uh, maybe they'll be able to make a little more noise. Uh, just Paul George and, and, and Russell Westbrook doesn't make them enough to overcome the Warriors or some of the other teams in the West. But I still think that it's it's probably the move that I'm most interested in seeing how it plays out, particularly because Paul George is only on a one-year deal. Well, I like, too, how the – so the Eastern Conference is getting easier for LeBron Oh, now, gosh. Because George mean, leaves. Yeah, I mean, Gordon Hayward is the uh, the only guy that's really come in. Everybody else has left. Yeah, but um, I well, honestly, my favorite move is Paul to, 
to Houston because I think Paul is, is has been as impactful a player uh, in what he's meant to a franchise as as anybody. And I mean, it's it's even the type of impact that LeBron has uh, has had and we've seen. But the Clippers are uh, arguably that's the worst professional sports franchise that's ever existed. Uh, including their their time as the Buffalo Braves, the Clippers franchise had made the playoffs seven times ever, and when they got Chris Paul, they made it six straight years and won fifty games or more five of those six years. So it's just he, I mean, he he joined a a, a team that was as rotten as any, and made them really good. And I know people will knock him because well. He hadn't been to the finals, hadn't won a championship, but I think that buries the lead with the impact that uh, Paul had on the L.A. Clippers. And uh, I just saw where uh, Nick Young, a.k.a. Swaggy P, has uh, signed with the Warriors. So basically he was like, hmm, where can I go? Oh, I'll go win a championship over there. Yeah, so, he's uh, joining that super team. That's right. So uh, I guess uh, good luck to him. Uh, I know that he was the one that was involved in the whole uh, – D'Angelo Russell, Iggy Azalea, uh, where uh, Nick Young and Iggy Azalea were dating, and uh, D'Angelo Russell blew up his spot and uh, ratted him out. So, yeah, and uh, now Russell's gone too, right? That's right. Uh, yeah, D'Angelo Russell uh, went to the 76ers. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so uh, that's another team that I think could be pretty interesting in the, in the years to come. The, uh, the Sixers and the Timberwolves are both very young. But then the Timberwolves went and added veteran pieces. They kind of became Bulls North by adding Jimmy Butler and Taj Gibson. So – I think I'd, I'd love the NBA offseason. It's not always as much movement as we've had in this one. So I've loved this one even more because you've had all these teams kind of resetting. And I thought that Minnesota should have been good last year, but they were still too young. Now you've still got Carl Anthony Towns and Wiggins, and you add in Jeff Teague to the mix, you add in Jimmy Butler, you add in Taj Gibson. I think that's going to be a team that's going to be pretty good. Could, could end up being a top five team in the West. Yeah, and now and then Tom Thibodeau's their coach. But yeah, I mean the West is just getting stronger and stronger. And the meanwhile, the East is uh, doesn't appear to be any closer to to being able to knock LeBron out of there. Uh, no, which the NBA, I get to tell you, the NBA loves that. LeBron's going to enjoy his last season in Cleveland because he'll have an easy path to the finals. Yeah, and then they'll he'll join up with Paul, Chris Paul, and maybe Paul George because all three of those guys will. Uh, inner free agency They'll go next to the year. Lakers and yeah. uh, everything will be Chris fine. Chris Paul and LeBron are like tight. Well, and Chris Paul should have been on the Lakers anyway before David Stern stuck his nose where it didn't belong. True. And like, yeah. Did not allow that trade to happen. Yeah, I know. Which is odd to me because I would have thought David Stern would have wanted the Lakers to be good. And it turns out he maybe he got confused. And then it turned out the Clippers were the good L.A. team and not the uh, Lakers. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe that was the case. All right, we'll uh, wrap things up on this edition of the crossover with a little WWE talk as coming up on Sunday night, uh, the WWE will be at the American Airlines Center in Dallas, Texas for a pay-per-view that they have, they have decided to name Great Balls of Fire. Worst pay-per-view name ever. Uh, yes, supplanting, uh, there was the bunkhouse stampede in the eighties, which was some bizarre, like cage match that had, I just remember dusty Rhodes wearing blue jeans and winning it. Nice. Um, and then didn't, wasn't there an ECW one called like December to December to dismember. Yeah, that's pretty bad. But there was, there was one, I can't remember the name of the pay-per-view, but this was probably the worst gimmick match ever because it was, it took place in the, in a flatbed, like on the highway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And, that was uh, an old WCW one. <laughs> that might—I mean—that was like a, your standard like Great American Bash or something. I think something. it was Great American Bash. Yeah, that was a uh, Gold Dust, Dustin Rhodes, uh, Dusty Rhodes' son, taking on the Blacktop Bully, and it was a King of the Road match. It was just a cage match in the back of a flatbed that was moving down yeah. the highway. Well, we need to talk to Tony Schiavone about that one. <laughs> that was—that uh, sounds like a bad idea. They had some crazy gimmicks, but uh, Great Balls of Fire is definitely not a great name. Uh, and I, and I, I just don't understand like what their process was in coming up with that name. Like, you know, you have some good names like Backlash, WrestleMania, SummerSlam. Where does Great Balls of Fire fit in? I don't know. And this is the first one ever. This isn't like a pay per view series. No. Either. Well, I think they're gonna make it one. Yeah. I think going forward. But uh, yeah, this is the first one, and it'll be headlined by Brock Lesnar and Samoa Joe for the Universal Championship. And I think this is just one of those holdover matches because uh, the big rumor is that, you know, uh, Joe Anawai, a.k.a. Roman Reigns, will be beating Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam to uh, get the title back on TV on a more regular basis. But, um, you know... <laughs> and they love... The, WWE loves that guy. Like, the fans really still do. hate him, right? Uh, well... Or is that... It, it's kind of like a John Cena thing, you know, where, like, the kids and, like, some of the... they they the People that don't mind the corniness of his gimmick, you know, love him... <laughs> But, uh, you know, the, the kind of older wrestling fans, you know, hate him. Right, like the, okay. the, the Kind of the guys like me in their, like, 20s and 30s that still watch uh, don't appreciate him very much. And he'll actually be taking on Braun Strowman in an ambulance match at uh, Great Balls of Fire. Now, what is that? Basically, you have to throw the guy in the ambulance and shut the door, and then you win. Okay, that sounds like that's a different version of the old Undertaker. It's like casket a casket match, match pretty much, right. except it's an ambulance. Although didn't I want to, didn't Stone Cold have some? They had have, a buried alive match. Yeah, I thought there was one too where I don't know somebody was getting thrown into something even with Stone Cold. They've done variations yes, of the they've ambulance done that matches a lot. before. They've, they've done that a lot, but those are the two big matches on the card. And uh, overall, you know, uh, I've kind of. Uh, this happens to me a lot as a wrestling fan. You kind of take some time off after WrestleMania, and then you build it back up in for SummerSlam. So I'll probably take a look at this, but overall not super excited about it. All right, that'll wrap things up on this edition of the crossover. Don't forget, we will be on iTunes in the near future, so keep it locked here, and we will give you all the details about that. But for now, keep it locked on 960theref.com for all of the episodes of the crossover podcast. For Chris Bram, I'm Sam Franco. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week right here on 960theref.com. You've been listening to The Crossover with Sam Franco and Chris Bram on 960theref.com. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.